0: Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with Freelance Tech Solutions and I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today I'm joined by Avelino Andretti, Axel Anderson, Philip Skogsberg and Victor Nielsen to discuss how you can get the best out of your development teams. Before we dive straight into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Avelino, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yes, I'm uh, Abelino Andretti Benedito, so I'm the uh, technical director at uh, EA, uh, working in the uh, Sistost uh, subdivision uh, here in Stockholm.
0: Great. Axel?
2: Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Axel. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cavalry Games. We started in 2018 with the vision to create good horse games.
3: Awesome. F- Philip? Uh, I'm the uh, co-founder and COO of Challenger Mode. Um, we're a Swedish uh, tech company building an eSports platform for gamers, uh, tournament organizers, and game developers. And our mission is to make eSports truly accessible.
4: And Victor. Hi, I'm the CEO of Babloon Studios. We're a small six-man team in, in Sjövde, Sweden. We do mobile games focused on word and decoration building.
0: Great. So let's move on to the topic at hand. You will have a question or statement on getting the best out of your development teams. I'll work around the room, ask each of you to pose your question and the context behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Let's start with Avelino. What is your question?
1: So the question is, um, how do you help developers who are struggling? So the context is uh, there's are situations where um, a developer might not be a good fit for the team or a developer might be struggling with a tech or may have some other personal reasons why that this person is not delivering. So I want to hear what you think about this and how to handle um, a person in in your team that you think has potential but is causing more trouble at the moment.
0: Thank you, Evelina. I will start with Axel. What do you have to say?
2: Uh, yeah, cool. So yeah, when I when I first saw this question, I I started thinking because there are so many different scenarios where you could have this problem, right? It could be you hire someone and then they sort of struggle from the get go. They never really get going, which is one scenario. And then you have the scenario where you know you you maybe promote someone to a managerial position and they they struggle with the new sort of managerial tasks. And then you have the third, which I think is probably the, the hardest one, which is when you have someone who, who struggles just from the get or who actually has been performing well, but then starts struggling. And I think in that scenario, I think it's, it's a lot of like sort of digging and sort of just talking with the person, trying to figure out what's going on, what's, what's changed, right? Because in the other scenarios, it's quite obvious that maybe in the first scenario where you have someone struggling from the beginning, maybe the tasks are too hard. Maybe the onboarding was a bit too steep. Maybe there are some other approaches you can take. I think in the second scenario where you promoted someone, maybe you promoted the wrong person. not not everybody does well in the managerial positions but when it when it comes to someone who just starts struggling, it's I think it's just having those conversations and just con, sort of compassionately just like what's going on what's 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 changed what what can we do to help here? I guess that's sort of my my mindset around it, I guess.
0: Cool. How about Philip? What do you think?
3: Yeah, so what I, what I thought about um, thinking about this this question or what I wrote down here is uh, the first step would be to dig deeper into what their specific problems are individually and uh, in terms of where they fit into the organization, right? And that goes back to what you said, uh, Axel, in terms of, you know, are they just kind of new on the job? Is this, are they, have they moved into a new position um, or something like that? So, and then thinking of how can I unblock them is there something like I can do as a manager or whatever role that, that I have? Um, you know, Does that mean I need to go to talk to somebody? Are they at, at the right place? Um, maybe the problem is that I haven't clearly enough defined what their goals are or, or they don't understand what their goals are, right? Like before you get to the point where, you know what, you're not the right person for this role or this job, You know, if, if, if it needs to go that far, it needs to be abundantly clear um, what their expectations are I think uh, and I, I found that in my experience that that's often something that causes people to struggle um, whether it's from their perspective or from the kind of the manager's perspective or colleagues uh, perspective.
0: Nice how about you Victor?
4: Well, I agree with a lot of things you've said uh, it's important to ask them and understand what their issues are and, and how I can help them. And I mean, s- struggles are always going to be a part of any development. And I think it's important that you uh, you understand how to overcome the struggles and these hurdles. Uh, and I, I don't think there's a like blanket case answer that covers all. But as you've said, communication is always key. Um, and me understanding what their work is about is important. If I don't understand their processes or abilities, it's much harder for me to help them. Uh, and I also think for, for my part, because we're a small team, it's it's the developers who should know uh, they're the ones with the most insight uh, into their own issues and I usually ask them a lot of questions. I, I work as a sounding board most of the part and see where I can help uh, to come up to a conclusion, maybe an action plan, um, like in different creative struggles that we've had, um, we've been doing Different kinds of like mood boards and looking for inspiration, doing tech art comparisons, trying to figure out uh, what to make of the situation and how to go forward. Uh, and I feel like uh, that that's the that's the main like communication part. I was always, of course, trying to stay positive because there's like it's easy getting being wrapped up in a struggle and they may maybe very uh, negative about they 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 having struggles and issues. And uh, I always try to like be a positive
0: reinforcement to them. Nice. Avelino, how does that sound? Have you ever had a situation with a developer that's struggling? Have you tried anything yourself? Yes, so
1: I think, um, I mean, I'm asking this because it's happened uh, more than once, um, and and I've seen different results. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes not not so much. Uh, What I've seen is that at least you have to give the person who's struggling agency and, and the proper feedback, not sugarcoating anything. And of course, it can be up to the maturity of the person, how they take the feedback. Um, some, some people will not take it well, um, and then you need to perhaps uh, involve somebody who has more experience managing people like myself. I'm not a manager, so I am um, um, not. I don't think I'm cut off for that, but I have had to deal with uh, with, uh, as a team lead, with people who are Struggling in 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 the team or uh, as part of a project. So um, what I've seen has worked in the past is to is to give them agency and ask them uh, what do they want to do um, instead of telling them how to do it. Um, I think that works uh, pretty well. Um, and in the past, um, I remember a situation where um, a developer was struggling, was completely unmotivated, not delivering. Um, really, just moping the floors pretty much, um, and, and and then uh, one of the managers said, Let, "Let's put him in uh, in one of the one of the tiger teams that we have, where you know you have the uh, cream of the crop of the developers, and, and lo and behold, he raised uh, to the occasion." He was really motivated and, and really raised to the occasion and, and delivered like uh, I was like flabbergasted, like, wow, I didn't know he was like just missing the motivation to the right, right, uh, the right team.
0: I find that really interesting when you see someone not succeeding, but all, just a situation change, being surrounded by people who are succeeding. Then you're like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this too. And then boom. like you said rose to the occasion I just wanted to come back to you said at the start Avelina about giving negative feedback and you said sometimes it's not taken well does anyone have any ideas how you could deliver negative feedback and get a good result
2: yeah I think something I've learned is just being very specific with your feedback that's a huge thing because sometimes I've done this a few times I've given feedback and been a bit too general like well you're struggling a bit with the organisational stuff or you're struggling a bit with abc and then you're not super specific in examples of when that's happened and that can i think that that can often put the, the person a bit on the defensive or like i'm not really sure if this is true is this really something that's happened but that's one one thing i think is very important
4: i think it's oh sorry uh, <laughs> i think it's uh it's a lot of to do with with how you receive and how you give feedback as well and what you are, uh, what you want to get out of a feedback situation. If you ask for feedback, um, you have to be clear on what kind of feedback you want uh, and and be very specific uh, because people view feedback in, in very different ways. And I think that's important to like know as well and, and, and try to keep a, a level head with each other to see like, what do you need out of this feedback session? and. How can we help and, and what what are the points that you maybe don't want feedback on because people have a tendency to to just go ham on everything that maybe isn't the the, the point of the meeting.
3: Yeah, I, I can also add that uh, I think it's important to or I, I try to think of if if I'm in a situation where I need to give negative feedback, like how would I? If I had this person's best interest in mind, like if I'm if I'm really trying to help them, um, how would I say something, and, and what would I say? Uh, because then you're starting from a point of, kind of, you know, w- what's the what's the right way for them to go forward, uh, right? That kind of considering the interests of the team or the company and their own interests, um, and also, uh, how how can I unblock them? You know, it's kind of like what we talked about before as well. And in the ideal situation, you would have already done your job in terms of them knowing what the standards were that you were going to kind of measure them on or what the expectations were. And so when you come to them with negative feedback, it's not a surprise, really, or they, they kind of already know that, yeah, I didn't reach where I needed to, to be, you know, at this in this particular way. And then, it's, it's, and then it becomes very constructive because you can talk about how can we get to where we want to go um but uh, and and obviously it becomes harder the less you talk to each other and the less you communicate and the larger the the gap is between uh between that so that th- th- that calls for a different approach i think
1: yeah and i think you you hit the um nail on the head uh with with your wording like constructive that that's the proper wording at least in the uh enterprise environment constructive feedback um and i think it's um it's a struggle because it's not uh, i mean the let's say the limelight is, is put on the person who's struggling but really it's on the on everybody around like colleagues uh, from the same team from other teams customers and the managers themselves um how they receive the feedback uh, if they filter or massage the, fil- the the feedback based on on the person and then the person might get um, a very different picture of the reality like uh you have the team everybody's complained about something um but then the feedback once it's um filtered uh sent to the person the person doesn't know what to do with this like um i think um uh, it's not an easy it's not an easy situation um i don't know if you have any examples of uh of, of good and bad uh outcomes on this that'll be very interesting to hear
2: I think I have I have both. I think i <laughs> I've had moments where I, try, I mean, you you try and coach people, right? That's what you do. That's sort of the the approach that I take. Um, and there's only so much that you can that you can do. it's not just about the feedback. that's just cause that's one point, part of it, but then you have to sort of help the person sort of like figure out how to how to improve in that area. And that's a coaching thing. and I mean, I'm, I think I try a lot to, buy, to sort of have ideas and strategies and like, this is what I would try. And maybe you could try and improve this and, and do that. And sometimes it's just sort of the task, sort of um, the person is just doing the wrong thing. And it's just sort of a bad sort of task person fit, if that makes sense. And then I think it's important to just realize that you have to sort of, you can't do everything and you can't coach everything. It's up to the individual to either rise to occasion or to figure out if, if there's something else you can do and just maybe figure out some something else for, for that um, person
4: yeah we've we've done a lot of um we do a lot of feedback loops and we ask for a lot of feedback from each other and i think um something that we sometimes do right um is to divide the the, the issue or the the struggle into smaller parts and see what we can do with these different kinds of parts if there are parts that aren't working or how we're going to Build up a new way of working with this, um, with this task or whatever it is, uh, and see wh- what we can do better in each of these smaller parts. Because sometimes it's it's people are are way out there in their thinking of how they are going to to handle a task, and it's it's maybe way too big. So sometimes it's it's easier for us to just narrow it down and see what we can do about the, the small instances in the
2: problem.
0: Cool. I would like to add on something that Avelino said where if you're not having that regular contact with let's say the developer in question, if you're not having for example, here at Evolution, just to give an example, we have a morning stand up, we also have a weekly retro, and every single day and week we have an opportunity to say how we're we feeling, how are you doing and it's like you can't go through a day without saying that. So it's kind of guaranteed it's gonna be found out. Uh, before it's ever an actual problem if that makes sense but also when there's a good thing happening that's mentioned great great win so when you do have that feedback session where oh actually right here you're not doing so well in this area it feels a bit softer i feel because you're having that regular interaction giving the good and the bad it isn't as oh i've booked a, got a meeting booked with my boss 30 minutes about bad feedback oh dreading it but if it's kind of a thing that happens anyway it's and it's usually good, then it's maybe a lot more tolerable, you know, a lot more palatable, that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, it's when uh, HR comes into the room, everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, what's There's going on? There's a problem
2: on? here, yeah. <laughs> and
1: maybe because they're just saying hi. It's <laughs> a good point also. Invasion you to up. Give
2: be- feedback like as soon as possible, because I've done that mistake as well, just waited too long and then you're going to have a one-on-one or something. And then you have to bring it up, and that just creates a lot of like discrepancy when between when maybe the feedback needed to happen and when you have to bring it up, and then it gets very loaded. Like Evelina said, it just bring it up as soon as possible, just as as soon as you can, basically.
0: Great. So let's move on to a different question. Philip, we'll come to you next. What is your question?
3: My question is uh, around how to maintain coordination and alignment as you scale to multiple teams or as you scale the company and the context around this is that uh, we're now about uh, 50 people in the company and, and we've kind of doubled the size of the company in the past one or two years. Um, so growing relatively fast uh, and um, we're, we're now at the point where we've done some reorganizations, we've started to uh, separate in, in particular the the engineering and product teams into multiple smaller teams. Uh, and trying to figure out how to do that in the best possible way, uh, and especially as we, as we keep on growing going forward. So my question is around how to kind of make that work, um, anti-patterns and problems to think about, uh, and so on.
0: Cool. Let's start with you, Victor. What do you think?
3: Well, as a, as a very small
4: team, I don't have that experience, but of course, I mean, uh, from my point of view, it's it's important just trying to figure out how your company structure is, sharing the same visions the, and the mission, of course, uh, having a unified viewer of where you are going as a company, as a team, and making sure that the project leaders, the managers, everybody shares the same vision, that, are, that you communicate that often, maybe, that you have that recurring talks on where how you're going. How would you communicate you that, doing? Victor? Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of like what you're saying with the, the daily uh, stand-ups. I would say like a weekly thing that where you talk about how it's, how it's going and how your progress is moving towards your mission or your vision of how your company is going. If you want to say you, you create um, X specific, the, the specific type of game that you want to do is, is the team work Uh, contributing towards that, um, or is is there something that we can change? Um, But of course, I think it's also important to see um, to the team and and how the team is working towards that goal, and see if they also have to challenge you a bit and and say that you don't want to have a really unified team of just hundreds and tens of you that are just making a game. You want different kinds of aspects and insights and people that are contributing to your company culture and how you're going forward it as a team. I think that's important to take into account as well, that you're not just like bulldozing your way towards uh, of, of your vision of, of your, what, where you're going as a company. I think it's important that you as, as, a, as a team and as a company as a whole uh, are moving towards that.
0: Avelino, what do you think being from a bigger company?
1: So I've seen um, a couple of patterns um, uh, or a couple of solutions, rather. Um, first, one being like project coordinator, which is a single person or a small team that's completely in charge of making sure that all the issues are communicated and all everybody's kind of the same track. That that will be like the more traditional one. Um, another one that I've seen that I like, it's the uh, single point of contact, uh, which is a person of a team that is half uh, half of the time embedded in the other team and, and communicates back and forth between the two teams. And I've, seen, I've seen that working quite well, especially when uh, when teams are distributed. Let's say you have a team in Stockholm and the other team is in London. Uh, you want to have the spark, uh coming back and forth between London and, and Stockholm, or maybe somebody from Stockholm based in uh, in London, like relocated to London, um, so I think that's that, that I've seen that work quite well with very large teams, uh, and I think that's just the precursor of uh, the role that is the uh, developer relationships, um, where um, all the developers they they need to, they need to have somebody that represents them with everything else, like be the platform, be the um, uh, cloud account. Be the SDK developers or the product team or some other teams that they have some representation, uh, and they can they can funnel their their uh, basically every, all the communication that is um, across organizational borders to one person whose role is completely to communicate across borders is different from a coordinator uh, because they don't have like a mandate and they probably will not do. Uh, regular status meetings, but they will coordinate um, at the the different level, like maybe talking to the uh,
0: team leads. Nice. Axel, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, so we're also not really at that scale yet. We're about 15, um, but we're also moving in a a similar direction, so it's something I do think about a a lot. I think as, as you grow, the more important culture becomes and the sort of culture you've you've set from the beginning and that sort of starts to to show whether or not you're being successful in in establishing that culture and it becomes even more important as you grow and so that's something that we did really early on we sort of wrote like these sort of company virtue sort of cheesy like you know that you put on the wall type thing like when we were five basically to just like if we grow we have this this is really what we value and what we believe in and um I think so So that sort of helps with alignment I guess and so there, there's there are obviously like the practical aspects of organizing a company at that scale and then to grow but then there's also sort of the, the alignment issue and just making sure that you you hire the right people I think.
0: Nice uh, just thinking of my example here because uh, evolution we've been growing quite rapidly as well uh, the Nordics team is growing like at least like four people every few months. And what I've seen is other teams in the business are trying to copy kind of our culture. And it is crazy how much of an impact culture makes on success because you wouldn't think going in, but if the culture is we're challenging each other and everything is going kind of and making sure everyone's collaborating and you're not competing against each other, I feel like you need to have, like Avelino said a point of contact or at least regular contact, not just contact for the sake of it, so to speak, where maybe even a social, something like that. It's just something to bind the people together rather than, oh, i got to talk with compliance today. And it's just like a, every other couple of weeks. So I find that that helps just a bit of glue and actual initiatives kind of to bring the teams together. That's what I would say. What do you think, Philip, about all of that? How have you been thinking about um, coordinating Coordinating, maintaining that coordination as you scale.
3: Yeah, what 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 you all said is uh, is super relevant, and I think I've uh, uh, kind of thought about some of those things as well. In particular, making sure that we communicate the vision often, um, and and the mission, and all of those things. And then, but 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 also, I would add to that that as the company has scaled, uh, the the it becomes harder to communicate the vision. Um, or rather, the people might have a good sense of what the the ultimate vision is, but they might not always know what the next steps are necessarily, right? Or like what the intermediate steps towards that vision are. And so, uh, the the larger the, the company is, the more people there are, the kind of different their their uh, their priorities are. They, so that they might have. We might be going in the same general direction, but people might have sort of like, I'm focusing on this this week and I'm focusing on this thing this week, right? And it's all kind of valid, but it and it becomes different, right? Compared to when when you're all smaller and you're all just kind of one team. So it becomes harder to do that. It's kind of what I'm saying. Um, I think the way that we're trying to solve that now uh, is that we have split up into a few different product teams and those product teams are mainly uh, organized around strategic areas for the company um, or like strategic bets or products. So we call them product teams, but uh, we have like one team focusing on game developers, one team focusing on gaming communities and so on. And the idea there is that they have their own charters or missions and they are cross-functional teams that are supposed to be as autonomous as possible. Right, So um, they then have to sync between each other, but kind of left alone to their own devices, uh, so to speak, they would still head in the right direction because they have a clear goal to uh, to move towards and not just like deliver this project, build this feature, uh, et cetera.
0: I was just going to think as you were saying that is, let's say you have a clear vision in mind, but everyone's incentives is to do their part really well. I feel like if, there's actually an incentive at least in evolution there's incentive one of our values is collaboration so even though it's not going to make uh kind of harry's wallet go big i still need to have that as part of my job description help out other people who are not in my team you know past jobs outside the team so i'm thinking if you've got different teams doing different things having it as a kind of expectation that you're going to help each other out maybe even go out of your way a little bit i'm not too sure but i can i swear i must know like there is must be a couple of examples in gaming where the art department might have something to say about the development side or just a little bit of collaboration maybe cross teams perhaps and if that's kind of an expectation rather than oh good job if there's an expectation maybe that can make everyone feel a bit more coordinated that oh we're trying to make a good game or we're trying to make sure this product fits really well for our esport partners for example if everyone's trying to collaborate and knows where we're going to maybe that kind of would make you know make that coordination a bit
2: better i think i think the norm in in game development now is to have cross disciplinary teams sort of classic agile type thing i I was thinking uh, philip have you guys experimented with okrs at all or no
3: uh, yes, we we have. Um, we're currently running something similar to OKRs, uh, but it's, it basically has the same general ideas and and structures. And so you know, it's it's like the high level vision, and and then sort of goals beneath that, and then it's like yearly goals and quarterly goals, and so on. And and the teams then uh, set their own goals based on the the higher level company goals uh, in in some in some format. Obviously, some teams need more help with setting the goals, or some teams have kind of focus areas or missions that are harder to translate to very quantitative goals, like a certain amount of new users or revenue or what have you. Um, so that makes it harder uh, and, and I'm, we're certainly still learning, but we have some of those processes in place. Um, so I think for for me now, it's mostly about, you know, how do we make sure that um, we, we can scale those processes and that we continue to apply them because I've found uh, over the years, uh, as we've certainly failed many times to to implement these processes properly, um, that the the hard part is not coming up with the goals, but it is to consistently communicate and work towards them and, and hold yourself accountable to them at all levels uh, throughout the company. Could you
0: explain uh, what an OKR is just for our listeners? Anyone?
2: I can I can do it since I brought it up. It's my my fault that we're talking about this. (laughs) Yeah, so Nokia, it it stands for objective and key result. I think it was coined by John Doerr and when he was at Google. So basically you set different uh, different objectives that you can then measure your progress towards with key results. That ideally are quantifiable measures. So usually numbers, metrics. That, that type of thing. And then the idea is you can basically cascade these objectives throughout the organization. So you can have like the CEO has his OKR, but then his uh, sort of the C-level people beneath him can have a set of OKRs that sort of cascades down from the sort of company vision. And then you can create a sort of a alignment that is actually quantifiable and sort of structured in a way, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I think the flip side of that is that uh, when uh, these metrics or measurements, they create a, um, a perverse incentive. Um, for example, if, if you have an IT department that is measured on the mean time to respond, uh, somebody creates a ticket and it's automatically assigned, but really the mean time to resolution remains like uh, it's probably even worse because now they are just like swamped in and they cannot prioritize on the number of, of cases that they just automatically accept.
2: It's it's the cobra problem, right? When in Mm. in colonial India, when they started taking, like, giving bounty money for cobras, people started breeding cobras in their basements (laughs) when they had too much cobras. Yeah, it it definitely happens. And you you do need to be careful whenever you set, like, a measure to to work, work towards.
0: Nice. Any final thoughts on maintaining coordination? Cool. Let's move on to. Axel, let's change direction slightly. What is your question and the context behind it?
2: Yeah, so, so my question was because uh, we were talking you and me, Harry, about uh, hybrid work, and and you mentioned that a lot of people are are going towards hybrid, the hybrid work model. So, and this is true for us as well. We're starting to go back slowly now, and uh, I wanted to phrase it a bit more practically, actually, as opposed to sort of philosophically, rather sort of how you guys are, are approaching hybrid work uh, not so much why I guess so it could be sort of how you're approaching scheduling and uh, hybrid conferencing and all that type of stuff I guess that's sort of the the, the context for it
0: great let's start with Avelino because I know he has some remote just started back in the office recently
1: yeah so uh, coming back to the this I think um, it's, it's a bit of a a culture shock again, because first you have the culture shock of everybody uh, going remote, and then now everybody's starting to come to the office, and um, and it's hard to leave your. Let's say you cannot just wor- just come and work in your jammies anymore. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think I think there's, there's there must be like some uh, some way of working and. Um, that will allow you to return to work. But I don't think the, uh, the normativity of working from the office, um, it's going to be like it was before the pandemic. I think it's going to be like more towards hybrid. Uh, some people are going to be 100% remote, um, some people are going to be 100% on-site and, and the rest uh, in between. Uh, I think it's interesting. Um, and, and of course, technology can go a, a long way to help us there uh, in terms of something concrete, uh, in a way, it's hard to, hard to say because, to me, it's been the norm uh, pretty much all my career. I always work remote in some way. First as a consultant, the customer was in a different country. Uh, and, and, and now uh, a, a lot of my colleagues are in different countries as well. So it's not so strange to, to, be, uh, to be remote partially. To me. So to me, it's almost like second nature, right? but I see people who is not so sort of second nature. They they struggle. They don't like the cameras. They don't like uh, the conference rooms that uh, divide your, your screen in two or in three. They don't like the virtual uh, backgrounds and so on. So it's it's just a matter of getting used to that and, and, uh, and embracing it, I think.
0: What do you think you actually do if someone's hesitant towards it? Like, is there an actual approach? Is it kind of like a suck it up approach or?
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, you should be mindful of everybody's like disposition to this. Uh, and if they don't want to switch on their camera, that's fine. Um, and, and if they want to have their kitten while they're talking to you in front of the camera, that's fine too. you know. Uh, I think we just need to be more tolerant and, and accepting and, and uh, yeah, maybe people will come around or not. I don't think it's, it's such a big issue. I think as long as, as, as people find a way to do their work, should
0: be fine interesting because i would have thought if you're not on video call there is a chance especially if there's say five plus people on a call if you're not on video this is maybe be being a bit pessimistic someone might not be paying attention so to speak because it gives them that ability to be on their phone or something is that not really been a problem you think Evelina? Uh,
1: i think that's uh that's of course a problem but um I- i've been in, in meetings where you have 10 people and uh, in the same room, and five of them are, are glued to their phone, so there's no difference. If they're not interested, uh, you know, being being remote, of course, makes it uh, harder. Uh, but um, you have to reach out some some other way. Um, I think um, the person who's coordinating the meeting has to be well aware that some people might drift off at any moment, and and and, and keep a tight rope on 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 the actions um, and how to uh you know if there's a question and there's nobody answering you know just just repeat it again or say the name of a person and uh and 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 try to make that person participate even if you know it takes a few seconds to get the context again
0: nice thank you that's good how about you philip how have you approached what tools are you using
3: we i mean we use all of the the tools i think that that most people use um or most companies already and even before the pandemic we were relatively hybrid with people working uh like very flexible in terms of where where people worked uh but having said that we've always at least in terms of the the stockholm office and kind of the product development uh we've always kind of started from the office um so we've always had that place to return to and then when you know most people in the company, and you have a lot of face-to-face interactions with them, or you had that a lot in the past, if somebody or some people go off and work remotely for a while or for a couple of days every now and then, it doesn't become that hard um, to maintain a, a good sense of alignment and uh, you know ma- make progress. Um, so that hasn't been a, a big problem. Uh, we we noticed how that kind of rapport and and the the feeling of Community and so on started to deteriorate deteriorate more and more uh, during the pandemic when we worked uh, completely remote for for a longer time. Um, but you know, having said that, there are clearly a lot of examples of company that are fully remote and have, have always been and, and and are successful at that. Um, and and I think, uh, but, but yeah, but it is this this hybrid thing is is harder. And I think in particular, it's not so much the the meeting. Um, like sticking to, to good meeting uh, etiquette and things like that, we can learn that, right? Just as we learn to, to how to behave in, in physical meetings. Although that's to your point, Avelino uh, some people uh, never really learn that um, and, and you know, play with their phones or use their computers. And obviously I'm, I'm even guilty of that myself sometimes. Uh, so it kind of comes down to, you know, are you actually needed in the meeting and and so on. But I would say it does require a bit more discipline Uh, when you do remote work and especially when you mix remote and on on location because with the different communication modalities uh, and everything everybody needs to be kind of more on point I think we need some more formality in the processes when you're at the office you can get away with kind of being lax with with processes and formalities and because you can catch up after the meeting or you know it's 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 harder to it's it's not as hard to uh, miscommunicate, etc. Um, so all of that needs to be better and more formal, perhaps, uh, when you do hybrid or um, or remote work. Um, and uh, and and I think you need a lot more written communication to do remote or and hybrid work well, because then some people are going to be you know close to you, some people are going to be far away. You need to leave a trail of of communication. So, uh, and, and you need to know when to use what kind of communication medium or device. You know, is it a, is it a face-to-face meeting? Uh, is it a video meeting or is just Slack or email enough? And, and so on.
1: Yeah. I wanna... yeah, You don't need the, like, very high tech, like, for that. Like, no. you're, you're uh, I mean, I think my best tools for the job are meeting minutes, reminders, okay. and bullet lists, you know, just... Checking off everybody, like somebody has one, something or I have to do something, just do a little but at least. And and at the end of the day, I just make sure I cross all my items and I communicate with. I have to communicate and set reminders for the next day.
0: I just wanted to ask you, Philip, just on that point, because I'm just curious on the actual ways. Let's say I want to get a hold of someone, uh, let's say I'm working in Challenger and I want to get a hold of someone. Can I just video call them if I'm working from home? Or is it more like, oh, I'm going to send him a direct message first? Because obviously in work, he might be two feet away. And I'll be like, yo, I can see when he's busy. I can see when he's not busy. Here at uh, Evolution, we actually partner with Microsoft. So we use Teams for everything. So when someone's in a meeting, we know. We can just quickly check. And if they're not in a meeting, I can just quickly call them, message them on Slack. But I'm wondering, if you don't have uh, that system in place, is it kind of a bit more... Ask for permission to have that chat, or how does it work?
3: Yeah. So, well, luckily Slack has a lot of integration, so we can you can usually see the people's status if if they're in an actual like Google meeting, uh, Google meets meeting, uh, but. Um, you know, even even at the office we try to avoid just barging into people's offices or or coming tapping them on the shoulder because you don't know if they're kind of in focus time or doing something else so unless it's very urgent um, even at the office we'll just send a slack message or or something along those lines and say hey uh, can you can you chat later today or something like that right
0: nice one got it how about you victor how have you handled hybrid
4: work well, we we've been hybrid for a uh, like um, since a while before the pandemic as well. And uh, I mean, we we got the kind of same view as, I think Evelina, I'm paraphrasing now, but like we're all humans, but we're still grown adults. So I think, you know, be, be who you are, but we're, we're still trying to get stuff done. Um, but I would also say like in, in general terms or in more concrete terms that I that hi- digital and hybrid work is much more divided into smaller pieces than on site work if you have it if you have digital and then you have um, on-site work, uh, I think the communication between them are very hard and if you have digital you've divided it into very much more smaller categories than you have you if you have on-site work because communication is very much more clear and very much more fluid uh, but I think uh, from an on-site perspective you can also use the very uh, divided, perspective as well, whereas on the digital side, if you just try to be very general, it's very hard understanding and there's a lot of miscommunication. Um, So we divided all all our Teams channels, for example, into very very smaller and specific sections. Uh, And as with our development, um, hybrid works also requires a lot of iterations, that we do a lot of iterations on our processes and how we work. Just like from like a Teams perspective, uh, we talk about, okay, what channels are maybe redundant, what channels do we need to be able to have a clear uh, communication, um, and what the issues are and try to expand them. Um, and that, as an example I, I wrote up here is that we, we've we experienced some issues with like certain feedback loop, that we talked about a, a bit earlier, but um, we found out that we got feedback that we didn't ask for. So we, uh, so we talked about how we are asking, giving, receiving feedback or criticism and together deciding on a routine to follow uh and to like make that communication better um and because so many things with hybrid work is different than how we communicate uh, verbally or like on site um i think it's important to constantly talk about how to evolve how we communicate
2: through digital and hybrid means
0: nice i like that axel have you thought about hybrid work
2: yeah so so we started uh as a on-site sort of company before the pandemic and uh moved to fully remote for the for a while it was still fully remote actually we we're just starting to go back as i said so we had to learn that whole thing um but yeah like like philip said i I do fear that it's gonna start damaging our culture and our cohesion so that's why we and i've I've asked the employees we sort of had a bit of a, a forum for for discussing this and seeing what people felt and what they wanted to do what they wanted the workplace to be like and And pretty much everybody said that they wanted to do hybrid, that's sort of the, and I I, I agreed, I thought my whole idea was that, well, hopefully you can sort of get some of the benefits of the the remote work, some of the flexibility that you get, but also some of the cohesion and some of the communicative benefits of of on-site. But also, my fear is that that's not really what's going to happen. You're just going to have sort of a mess that doesn't work and doesn't sort of, isn't optimized in any aspect. It's just sort of like, would have been better to just decide to go fully remote or to go fully on site that's my fear that's what i'm sort of struggling with that's why the question is sort of framed a lot around how to avoid that i guess
0: well, i'd just like to say kind of how it worked for us so during the pandemic we had that problem performance wasn't as high not because people weren't working as hard it's just harder when you're not actively kind of accountable or you're not physically there to properly ask a question and what really worked for us is if someone's going to be remote it would we we'll try to make it for example everyone is remote on a friday or everyone's remote on a thursday so obviously if there's you have to pick up the car on a tuesday fair enough you can be remote on that day but as a norm when everyone's in the office we try to make it so everyone's in the office that way if the majority are at home or in the office then you can have a kind of normalcy of way we're going to work let's say everyone's remote what i think is very beneficial is to have and let's say you start at nine have a nine o'clock half an hour just chat what are you going to do about that is so cool in the fact that you have that nine o'clock everyone's cool we're all ready to go and then halfway through the day maybe a 15 30 minute like fika just chat just kind of engage because that would probably happen anyway in the normal day-to-day and then at the end of the day, if everyone finishes at the same time, maybe just a quick reflection, because I feel like they will have something to look forward to, where I'm going to see my friends again. Where I felt when I was remote in my past job, literally from nine till five, I didn't even need to talk to anyone. So yeah, it feels quite lonely. You get quite like when you mentioned the culture, you get a bit disinter- disinterested, less motivated. So I feel like that's really important. Evelina, did you have something to add?
1: No, um, I, I was I was thinking that um, there might be roles that don't have a chance to work remotely, like an audio engineer or, or, or a motion, motion capture, or maybe in, in your case, Philip, um, an event manager has to be on site when the event is taking place. Um, so I think we're lucky that at least um, a huge part of our of our um, businesses can can be done uh, remotely. Just a reflection. that's it.
0: Nice, thank you. All right, let's move on to the last question. Victor, what is your question?
4: So it's how do you maintain innovation and creativity as your business grows? Um, and for uh, some info on what I'm thinking about is that small teams as ours often implies, like more responsibility and a more individual decision-making within your respective uh, discipline. Uh, You're you're supposed to be the master of your own craft because you're the only one who's working on it in a small team. Um, And everyone often has a say in the, the creative processes and take decisions based on their skills and workflow, of course. But how do you keep people being able to be creative and not being maybe put in a box where they don't feel like they evolve? Uh, as your team grows bigger and maybe more streamlined, and you have someone who's calling all the shots and et cetera.
0: Nice. I would like to start with Philip on this one. Philip, what do you think?
3: my My initial kind of reaction or or thought here uh, was that you want to kind of focus more on what you're not doing, uh, in the sense that, I think when it comes to innovation and being creative, it's a lot about giving people space um, to let those creative things happen. Uh, which means that, uh, you know, it, it could be either space in uh, in time or otherwise. So, giving people, you know, like a hack week or a day every now and then. Um, to really go deep on something they're interested in. Uh, it could also be like what Google has done with uh, 20% time, where you get to spend 20% of your time working on a, a passion project or something like that. Um, but but I think more, more generally, the lesson there is that uh, you want to give people space to um, drop the, the kind of most top priority thing in order to make room for some serendipity and things that might become important in in the future and not get stuck in what's always the most urgent. Um, certainly, you know you can take that too far, I guess uh, by just not having any any boundaries at all. but I think a lot of innovation and creativity happens, you know on the on the periphery, on the boundaries of like what your role is or what your job is. And so, um, it's, it's about, uh, yeah, giving people that space and, and maybe even making it quite explicit sometimes. So I try to set aside some like thinking time, um, where I either just go, go on a walk and, and like work out problems in my head. Uh, and usually I'll, I'll come up with other things. Um, or um, just having a, a, a you know a meeting or a, or a talk with somebody on on a very general topic and spending some more time kind of letting some meetings go off on tangents even though uh, you know generally that might not be a good thing so it's like being a little bit loose around the edges is, is sort of what I'm saying.
0: I like that, Axel. Any thoughts?
2: No, I, I completely agree with with Philip. Um, that's sort of where, what I was thinking. Well, it's a very cultural thing too. Like you have to really foster that sort of openness and empower people to actually have good ideas at any scale. I think, and um, that's I think that's the main thing. And the the, the thing that uh, Philip mentioned that Google does too, with the sort of having a, a sort of a lot of time that you can do whatever you want. I think as much as sort of actual time to do something uh, that's sort of beside your regular tasks, it's also very powerful symbol for what what they're actually trying to say which is like you're free to have good ideas and we want you to have good ideas so i think it's a very cultural sort of symbol to have that as well
0: great avelino what do you think
1: um it's definitely i agree with axel it's it's cultural um i i was in a company where our main task was to be innovative but it was so so bottom up Bottom down, the uh, sorry, top down, the uh, the culture that it was. Um, we will pitch our ideas, we will have our ideas. We thought they were fantastic, but we will get no feedback, and we will be scratching our heads uh, whether this was a good idea or not, or it was aligned with with uh, with the goals of the company. Which again, because everything was coming top down, and this was more knowing where a product was going. We didn't. We didn't have a clear idea. We we, we were not a part of that uh, communication or part of that group. So um, I think what ended up happening is that they rejected our idea in broad strokes, and very broad strokes. And what will end up happening is like we will deliver the same idea in a different dress. So same monkey, different dress. Uh, that was not very creative. Um, I think uh, where you have like a more open culture that it's it's a bit informal, that people are allowed to try different things, and you're allowed to communicate across uh, organizational boundaries. That fosters creativity um, because you get ideas just by talking to people who otherwise you've never been in contact. So you listen to their problems, and you come up with something, or they will come up with something, and, and you work in working in a little bit project, and, and new things will happen um however, once you have like a delivery in place and because we work in a in an industry that is so creativity driven um people will will, will spend uh, a lot of time you know polishing and adding new features and adding more stuff um and sometimes that is not in line with what we want to deliver or it will, it derail the we will derail the delivery uh, by having like a huge uh, um, uh, scope creep, uh, and that is also not good. So you have to strike a balance between creativity, uh, keeping the scope, keeping the original vision of the game that you want to deliver, and the artistic direction. I think that's where the artistic direction really comes into play and, and really shows uh, if you're doing something like in the corner of a game, is that really going to improve the, the experience of the players? Is that really going to improve the game or is that just like, because it's very cool and you just want to test the limits of what you can do? Maybe there's some other places where you can you can apply your, your, your skills and your creativity, um, but that do not compromise the, the artistic vision or the scope of the, of the project.
4: Nice. Victor,
0: you were going to say?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, thank you so much for for your insights. Uh, I, I was thinking about um, what you said, Valino, uh, well, you know, um, re- regarding like striking this kind of balance uh, and maybe a connection to what uh, Philip and Axel talked about having this kind of Google approach to learning new things. And because you've heard, I've heard some like examples of people uh, artists maybe working for two, three months with only modeling branches for their all the all the only thing they do is modeling branches. And I mean, that's not maybe something that I would say that is very creative in like a long run. But of course, someone has to do branches, but then maybe it's good to have the, the kind of time to set aside for other things and not maybe 100% branches, but maybe I don't know, 50% branches, and then you can divide your things or your tasks up in in different ways and maybe 20% for something that is completely unrelated that you can just maybe grow as a person as. But I mean it's it's kind of hard knowing where 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 that line where you draw the line on on just doing the monotonous activities and trying to move forward as as a company when you're being more and more people and you're growing your business more and more. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to,
0: to listen to. What do we all think about incentives for innovation and creativity? Because some people, their job is they're just paid to do X. And if they come up with a great new way to do something, there's no direct incentive, so to speak. So how do we think we sh- could incentivize innovation?
2: I don't know if you can. I think you want to hire people who like solving problems. I don't don't know if there's any real way to like, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah, I think you want to hire creative, innovative people um, and just let them solve really good, interesting problems as opposed to like trying to find a way to like incentivize it in any other way. I think it just, that's how I think about it, I think.
0: Nice. So how would you, I'm curious, How do you kind of get that from when you're hiring? How do you make sure? How do you, any questions you ask? Is it just obvious from the CV? Because for to me, it wouldn't be as obvious.
2: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm reading this leadership book currently and he has this, it's, I think it's called like the loss of, let me see, the loss of the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. He has one of the laws is uh, the law of magnetism. And he claims that you'll inevitably hire people who are like yourself which I think is kind of bullshit. I don't actually think, I don't agree with that one. I think it's wrong. But um, I think this is one of those moments where if if you are sort of the creative founder, that sort of has been a a big source for innovation and creativity for the company, try and hire people who are like that. I I mean, sort of entrepreneurial people, people who tend to have good ideas, interesting ideas. And I think you can find that out in in the interview process. Just give them good, interesting questions. And you can usually see that, okay, that's a really good, interesting answer, right?
0: No, that makes sense. Victor, you were going to say earlier.
4: Uh, well, I, I, I kind of lost the train of thought there, but I, I think it's also like interesting in, in that kind of way, because we, we've been talking a lot about recruitment and how to not recruit maybe people who are just like us. And and there are a lot of different ways that you can recruit someone who is like you, either in, in, in gender, personality, or I don't know, ways of working. Um, and I, I think that is also something that you, you need to be just aware of when you're doing uh, recruitments And of course, as you say, like an incentive doesn't have to be just okay, you're going to do a lot of boring stuff, and but you're going to get a lot of cash or whatever. Like you, you, you can also through your, I think, company culture, I mean, give not an impression, but like, when you recruit, when you recruit people, that that people can come into your uh, company and say, okay, even if maybe some things are monotonous or very boring activities that you're going to do, there's a lot of other possibilities that you can, you can do in your job. Uh, for example, we've been talking about doing some kind of uh, every every Friday that we have some kind of. Uh, Google-ish uh, working standards that we have a, a specific project that we do or something completely unrelated to the project we're working on uh, to get that creative freedom and, and to see that like that could be an incentive for people to, to even if you have your daily tests that may, might not be as interesting as the the, the thing you want to do, you can always have some time for, um, for, for growing for being better and, and
2: and being more creative, I think. I think also that sort of being able to be innovative and creative in your work should be the incentive, in my opinion. And even from the start of our like job listings that I actually write myself (laughs) still, um, that's a lot of the alert I think for for working at a small company and sort of a a startup level is that you actually get to have a lot of good ideas and and they actually get, get heard.
0: Nice one. I like that. I'm just curious, kind of maybe a more logistical question. When you have that Google 20% time, you know, try to think of something new, is that, do you think solo? Would that be better off being collaborative? Do you need a bit of both? Just curious to kind of stifle that innovation. Do you need to kind of get the team together, so to speak? Because that takes some at least top-down approach to organize everyone. What do we think?
4: Yeah, absolutely i think i think some kind of um, premise or or some kind of strategy around it is absolutely necessary um, to, to to say that okay every every friday or every monday or whatever day it is uh, you can do whatever you want is kind of maybe hard for people to optimistic wrap their heads as right. well yeah exactly uh, and i think i think there should be some kind of some kind of context on what you should do and I think that people is always better if they maybe collaborate and and try to learn something together because that will also make them become better colleagues and better like you know working team.
1: Yeah I've I've, uh, also seen something like um, challenges where you have uh, maybe weekly or monthly challenges and and that motivates some sort of people who are like very competitive oriented to come up with solutions to to achieve the challenge or to, or to solve the challenge also i think that the barriers um like um what you do in your work might not be necessarily your creative outlet um so if you're a writer maybe you just want to try to code in python i don't know or if you are uh uh um, a gopher um you just you maybe just you just want to try to play an instrument and and, and uh, replace the soundtrack of, of of a game you know is it says i can do that better or i can do it in my own style and that would be an outlet to creativity and uh, maybe but maybe somebody's paying attention and says hey i like what you did there um uh, let's, let's let's uh yeah why don't you tr- give it a try in, in something that is more creative or at least a little bit, uh, that's not uh, not what you do uh, on a day-to-day basis. Hmm.
0: Great. Everyone, I think we'll conclude it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to thank Avelino, Axel, Philip, and Victor for providing the insights today. And thank you all for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku, Foku spelled P-H. Okay, oh Till next time, everyone. See you later.